Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Did you know that I teach speakers and trainers from around the world all the skills I've learned over the last two decades of speaking at theahacenter.com? That's right. Go to theahacenter.com, T-H-E-A-H-A-Center.com and join me there. Welcome to this week's episode. I am so thrilled. We have a really special guest and really special because many of you who listen to the show know that when I'm reading a book, I'll often pull quotes out of the book and then let that be a theme for that episode with our cast members where we really dive deep into what that quote was saying, how that impacts our lives, how we, how we really interpret that quote for each of us individually. And recently, somebody reached out to us and said, hey, you're quoting Roland Murillo in Breakfast with Buddha. Would you be interested in being able to talk with Roland? And we were like, of course, of course, we would love for that to happen. And today that is happening. We have the award-winning author, Roland Murillo, 22 books, including 16 works of fiction. The one you heard me just rave about, I absolutely love, Breakfast with Buddha, nominee for International IMPAC Dublin Literary Award, now in its 19th printing. But you also may know the Talk Funny Girl from 2012, also an award winner. You may know the Vatican Waltz, which was uh, by Best Books of 2013 by Publishers Weekly. Uh, You may know Lunch with Buddha. I know Breakfast with Buddha. You may know Lunch with Buddha or his latest novel, The Delight of Being Ordinary, which was called Lucid, Unpretentious Fiction, Spotlighting the Drama of Trying to Make the Divine part of our everyday lives in a Kirkus starred review. Roland, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Mike. Happy to be here. Well, we're excited to have you on. And you have so many books. And Breakfast is Buddha is the one that I know most people know, it seems, more than others. Would you say that's true, that that's the book that people know you for the most? Yeah, that's definitely true. It sold probably four times as much as, uh, as the next, uh, next best selling one of mine. Well, it's an amazing read. And so I'm going to dive right in because what I do when I'm reading is I highlight sections of the book. And when I'm all done, I do this on my Kindle. I download them all. So I have this little spreadsheet of all the highlights, the, the comments, the quotes in the book that really made me think so I can go back and dive deeper into that for my own life. And you, early on in the book, I shouldn't say early on, it's a little ways into the book, but you talk about 
this idea of, you know, how does someone know if God's present or if there is this being out there? And you have this quote that is, that is really powerful. So I want to dive right into that. The quote is, there is no need of proof of some creator, of some magnificent ones, that they rose from the dead or made miracles. For proof, I look at you here and I think your heart's pumping now when we sit here and think and talk and question each other. The blood is going. Outside, the trees are drinking in the sun and growing. Beyond them, the planets are spinning. These are facts. No one disputes these. Yes, these things. More proof of God or some greater being. Why is it necessary? So I want to go right into that. There's so much beauty in that. For those who who read and come from the viewpoint of, I don't believe in a God, I believe that's all part of the greater energy of the universe. In your writing, do you say, well, that's what we're talking about? One person may call the, the energy of the universe God, another may call it a being, or do you think there is a difference when people have that conversation? I don't think there's a difference. I, I think it's semantic, and I think the semantics cause a lot of trouble and have caused a lot of trouble through history. I have good friends who, who absolutely insist that they're atheists, they don't believe in God, but and I, I respect that every, anybody's belief system as long as it doesn't involve hurting someone else, but it doesn't make sense to me that you can look at those things, that you can stand at the edge of the ocean and think about everything that lives inside it and not suspect that something larger than the human brain made that happen. I, but I think we get into trouble when we start saying that something is a particular someone with particular traits who wants us to do particular things. But the basic essence of the question seems indisputable to me. Something's going on. Something, if you, if you trace it to the Big Bang, something or someone made the Big Bang happen. I don't claim to know who or what that was, but I claim to, to say that it was something. And for those who say, well, that's science, I always find that interesting because I think when somebody says, well, that's just science, and, and I appreciate that and understand that that conceptually, well, them saying it's science, what's the difference than somebody else saying that's the energy of the universe, you, what you call science? It is. I, I think that's semantics too, to say, well, that's just science. Well, the energy of the universe, there's an energy in the universe. Astrophysicists don't argue about that. We know that. So the only argument seems to be, is there is this semantically, is the energy of the universe what somebody calls science? Is it possible that this is a energy force that impacts what happens? And I think that's where the semantics occur. Would you agree or do you have a different view on that? No, I agree completely. I mean, science to me explains gravity. It doesn't cause gravity. It looks at the universe and tries to explain the laws of the universe, but I don't think it ever claims to have put those laws into place. I like the Buddhist use of the term. They don't use the word God. They say divine intelligence. And I think it makes people a little bit less uncomfortable if you think of it that way. I think more people could agree that there's a divine intelligence than that there's uh, you know, man in the sky. And I don't, as I say, I don't, dis- I don't mean to sound disrespectful. People can and should believe whatever they believe, whatever gives their life meaning. But uh, uh, for me, the idea that the universe has some energy, some intelligence that's beyond my own, 
It just seems obvious. I can't deny that to myself. I don't impose that. Even in my books, I don't preach. I don't impose that on anybody else. That's not the kind of person I am. But if we're speaking of my own belief system, that's what it is. Well, I love that about your books. They're not preachy. Nobody feels like they're being lectured to or this is a certain set of beliefs you must believe in. You have these, you know, Breakfast Booth, you have these two people taking this drive. And for those of you who haven't read it, I highly recommend you read it. I'm not giving anything away here because I'm really giving the synopsis, not the story, which is you have two people driving across country, one who's caught up in what we would call the cycle of the, of the busy day of a family and the pressures of a job and all of those things taking place. And the other coming from a spiritual Buddha place of I'm here and I'm present in the moment. And you're hearing the story from the person who's caught in the cycle of life and his frustration with how can you just be there? How can you just be present? And their journey together, it's just so beautiful and wonderful. And that's why it's not preachy at all. And I remember reading it thinking, I wonder where Roland himself comes from, because there seems to be so much brought from so many different spiritual belief systems within this journey. And so I, I ask you that, where do you take your inspiration from? Is it is it more Buddhist driven? Is it more Taoism? Is it Christianity mixed in with all of that? Judaism mixed in? Muslim? Is it, a, is it an equal mix? It's definitely a mix. I grew up a really devout Roman Catholic. My father's family was a big family, Italian family. My mother's family was a big English family. They were both Catholic. And I mean, church every Sunday, mass every Sunday, confession, holy days of obligation, fasting during Lent. I mean, those people really walked the walk. They were really good people. And I'm not an angry ex-Catholic. I mean, there's, there's been some terrible things done by certain people in the church and by the church itself across history. There's no question about that. But my own personal experience didn't lead me to a bitter parting with the church or anything like that. I just got to a certain age where I had questions that I didn't feel were answered uh, by church doctrine, and I started to look really accidentally to the wisdom of other other uh, traditions. And for the last, I don't know, 30 or 40 years, I've really read avidly across those traditions. So I read Christian mystics and Buddhist teachers and, and some Hindu and some Sufi and some Native American and, and uh, Hebrew scholars. And it's amazing to me how similar they are, especially at the level of the mystics. I mean, the everyday you should do this, you shouldn't do that. These are the rituals. Those are quite different. But if you get to the essence of what those people are talking about, they're almost exactly the same and maybe with a little bit different language. And that's, an, and that's also a view that Eckhart Tolle has discussed, how much similarity there is in those religions. Is there one that, and, and some people don't consider, do you consider Buddhism a religion or more of a spiritual belief system? I, I don't even call, you know, it's a funny word, religion. I mean, I think it's, it's a theory about what life is, about how life came to be, about why we are here. And I don't think it really matters what you believe, honestly. It doesn't change. I mean, by that, I mean, it doesn't change what is. Whatever is out there is what's out there. And whether you believe it or I believe it or we believe something else, it doesn't make any difference at all. It really is all, only about how we live our lives. That's the, the use and value of a belief system, I feel. 
I mix them definitely. You know, I meditate every day. I have for 40 years. I start out with the Hail Mary, which is a Catholic prayer, and then an Our Father, but the Protestant version of the Our Father, and then uh, kind of a Dzogchen, which is a Tibetan Buddhist, very simple, sitting there watching your thoughts. People criticize that as a cafeteria faith, but I don't see the problem with them. If you go, if you're hungry and you go to eat and there's all these different foods set out before you, why wouldn't you take a little bit of everything if it tastes good? You know, why wouldn't I take Buddhist wisdom in terms of calming the mind and Christian wisdom and and Jewish wisdom in terms of behaving well toward other people. I mean, I don't, I don't say anything negative about combining those things. Especially if they're nourishing you, right? Because I love that you said, you know, if they taste good, if you like them, and they're nourishing you, they're bringing fulfillment, they're maybe even filling voids that can be present in one's life and helping us understand. And, and your writing beautifully does that. You help us as the reader to just pause and go, wow, what would be my answer to that? How would I view that. I think it's really, really cool. And, and here's one that I, I'm going to pull one from the book because I think you really do a beautiful job of making people have those pause moments to think. And one of them in the book is you ask the, the character that is, that is caught in that cycle, you ask, hey, what really drives you? What's, and I think the, actually the example you give is what's the current in your river? right? What's making the water move? What's making that river in your personal life? What is it? And you use the example, if you had a TV talk show, what would you be ranting about every day? And I love that because all people come up to me and say, I don't have, I want to speak for a living because I speak professionally. They'll say, I want to speak for a living, but I don't know what to speak on. And I'll just pause and go, well, what fires you up? Like what angers you? And most people are like, why would you ask that? That's a negative. And I go, well, just I'll let them answer first. What angers you? Because normally what angers them is an injustice about something they deeply care about on the positive side. And they're quicker to answer what angers them than what excites you. Because like, that's a problem. I don't know what excites me. Well, what angers you? Weirdly, people know that. They're, well, here's what angers me. And this character, surprisingly, this I won't give away the answer because the character comes to an answer that I think is beautiful and powerful in that moment for themselves. It, it, do you find that a lot of people have come to you and said, hey, that was powerful for me to think, what, what current is driving my river? What's forcing that water down? I do, I do. I have to say the book has been out for 11 years, and I still get a lot of uh, beautiful notes from people, emails through my website, sometimes actually handwritten letters, and sometimes in person, people will say something to me, and it's tremendously gratifying. It's a risky business writing about religion. You can offend people very easily. Uh, it's like writing about politics. I think though, if you, if you have a Christmas or Thanksgiving gathering at your home and, and different family members start talking about politics or religion, you're on thin ice. You know, you can really, <laughs> people can get upset very quickly. Yeah, more now than ever. So it's, <laughs> yes. More now than ever. Absolutely, really true, and that's a shame. Um, I really feel like we have to learn to listen to each other and disagree with each other respectfully. But, but what I try to do is, is put in some humor, because if, if you make people laugh, I think they they're more likely to listen to you. If you don't take yourself tremendously seriously, they're more likely to listen to you. So, you know, I have religion or spirituality, I like that word better, in in all my books from 1991 on. But 
somewhere around 2000, I started to be funnier, and I'm more that way in person. I like to joke around, and I let myself do that in the books, and it really, I think, makes them <clears throat> makes the difficult ideas more palatable for people. They can they can consider them without being affronted. I'm just going to pause this for one second because I want to let everyone listening know about one of our amazing sponsors. This week's program is brought to you by the Can I Kiss You program, an interactive how-to skills-based program for school systems, universities, and the U.S. military throughout the world addressing consent, bystander intervention, respecting boundaries, how to talk about what you want and don't want, and supporting survivors of sexual assault. Now, for many of you listeners out there know, this is what I do for a living. I travel the world giving the County Kishu program and many other trainings throughout the world. So yes, this is me uh, that you're bringing in to speak. If you're interested, contact our offices Ask for Rita at the Date Safe Project. Our website's datesafeproject.org, or you can call Rita at 800 329 9390. That's this week's sponsor of this episode. And you bring up a really good point about how sensitive it is to, to go to these places of writing. Do you place yourself intentionally and without giving up, obviously, location or anything like that? But do you live in a place that's more serene? Are you surrounded by nature? What? How do you get yourself into a safe space for you to have that, right? Because there's so much going on. How do you keep yourself from being inundated with all that negative distraction, chaos, to write this kind of beautiful language and thoughts? Well, I'm sitting on the second floor office of a big addition I built with my own hands on my own house, and all I can see are trees and hillsides, snow. There's one country road I can see that runs in front of the house. So it is a very peaceful place, and it's a little strange for me because I grew up right outside of Boston, like at the end of the subway line, in a place that was not peaceful. It was crowded. It was noisy. It was rough. It was rich and a lot of great people there, but I'm not sure I could have written these books if I hadn't moved out here uh, so deep in the woods that I can't even Skype. I mean, I'm really, our coverage here is we're almost 30 years behind the times. Well, I love that though. I mean, so usually these one-on-ones, as listeners know, are also available on video. This one's not because Roland's not able to Skype. And as soon as I heard that, as soon as my producer told me that, Lisa, I thought in my mind, well, that's got to be intentional. That's that, that he has in place in that kind of a, I was picturing what you're describing, which I didn't know was true, but that was my picture. And that's because recently my own life went through that. In the past year, I made a move onto a much more remote, rural, onto a, onto a water source, onto a lake, small little lake. In the... The natural setting is a constant distraction to work. And I mean that in the most wonderful, beautiful ways. Like some people think, well, how are you going to get work done? And I go, exactly. If, if <laughs> that, that's the point is to let my mind be pure and see where that takes me in my work. And is that what you're describing? That by being in nature, it allows a more pure of you to come forward. I think so. I think that's really true for me. That's, um, I lived for a while. I was in the Peace Corps for a while. I lived in Micronesia on a tiny little atoll, a five-day sail from any place with electricity or running water, absolutely surrounded by the natural world in a way that you just can't replicate in this country, really. And 
it made some kind of a very deep impression on me to touch to touch that un that world that's untouched by humanity and obviously that's not where i live now it's not like that but being around nature just seeing birds just seeing trees just sensing the quiet of the woods or uh, the gurgle of a stream or the other day I was putting something in the shed in my backyard and a fisher cat was in there. I don't know if you guys have them there, but they're these vicious big, they're like twice or three times the size of a house cat and uh, it ran out right across the tops of my boots and into the woods. And, you know, a little bit scary for a moment, but also magnificent. It, it, it wakes you up in a certain way. It's a little message saying, you know, the news on TV and the bills you have to pay are not the only thing there is. There's some other dimension, and pay attention because one day you're probably going to be thrust into that dimension. Oh, yeah, and I think it's so powerful and how it's a constant reminder if you're able to surround yourself with it. And I know some people might be thinking, but I don't have that ability to, to move or to do that. Then I would say, well, then how do you create that? Think to yourself, how could I create that setting within my home? Or how can I have less distractions? So uh, how could I go for a walk in the park every day? Where's the closest park? Is there a pond? Is there somewhere? Because I, I, like you, I did not grow up in nature. I grew up in a small town and in no way did I hike or did I hunt or did I go camping. And one of my kids got into Boy Scouts and I got to go on a couple of amazing adventures that made me have an appreciation like I never had before that moment. I remember one time where you hike for like 10 miles in the mountains in New Mexico, you're truly remote and the stars are blowing up every night. The sky is just filled with it. And I would just write for pages. And I asked myself, what's happening here that I am able to write for pages on a day I did so little, but hike and all that. And I realized I was living a life worth writing about versus trying to write about a life that I was trying to create, you know, which is what people can do trying to create a life versus living a life. Uh, and I think what you're describing is putting yourself in a way that you can live a life that gives you serenity, that gives you a place of peace, uh, that is allowed to be your more pure self in doing that, uh, which is beautiful. So in your setting, are you someone that is very careful of how you watch news or take in the internet? I, I try to be. I'm, uh, unfortunately, maybe I'm a, a very political person. I mean, I'm interested in uh, what happens in my country, and I really care about it. And I've been that way since I was a little kid. My dad was involved in politics. And so it's not easy for me to turn that off, but I am careful about it. I don't spend a lot of time on social media. I, I, I look at the news. I might read a newspaper. But I think what we're talking about, Mike, is the mind and caring for the mind. There's so much caring for the body in the society. There's so much emphasis on not smoking, exercising, eating well, getting your checkups, and so on. It's all great. But there's not that much emphasis on caring for the mind. And you can care for the mind in your house in the middle of New York City, you know, in your apartment, if you make it a priority. And I know people who make a little shrine in their house. It doesn't have to be toward any particular toward Buddha or Jesus or Mary or anything like that, but that little quiet place where they go every day and spend a bit of time just letting their mind settle. And it's um, so hard to do that in our society. Everything is about stimulation, you know, phones with you constantly and 
news battering you constantly, and the nourishment of the mind is absolutely essential to me. I couldn't, I couldn't live otherwise. So I really, you know, I exercise every day physically, but I also, I also meditate every day, and I also take quiet walks every day because I just don't want my mind to be racing and filled with stuff. And it's, um, you know, I don't see God. I don't see visions. I don't, haven't reached enlightenment. But so many of the difficulties in my earlier life had just gone away. You know, anger, depression, fear, I mean, the ability to deal with illness or deal with pain, the ability to be patient with my kids or my wife or myself. I I credit those things to that practice of calming the mind. Do you have a mantra that helps you in those moments? For instance, you said, hey, I grew up very political. So yes, I keep an eye on the politics, but I try not to dive too deep into you know that area and knowing you're writing i can only imagine that the political culture right now is almost painful to some degree to watch or to take in or to experience so is there something that you are able to say to yourself that helps you take that breath and release that or to dive into it so you can address it yeah i don't have a mantra my wife has a saying, I don't know she would call it a mantra, but she says, in this world, but not of it. And, and that helps her in difficult moments. My practice is not a mantra practice, although I think it's valuable to have that. I try, I don't always succeed, but I try to, to hang on to that in the midst of being upset about, you know, the the way things are taken from the poor and given to the rich, for one example. That bothers me tremendously. But I try to say, okay, you know, this is life. There, there's always been evil. There's always been greed. And my my duty is to deal with that in my own little way. And if I get so upset about the news that I yell at my kids or something or have an argument with my wife or even hate people in politics for what they do, then I lose. I just don't, I don't want to let that happen. That's, no, that's beautiful. And I love the fact that you're able to say, I think it's powerful the statement you made about this is life and there have always been evil and there will always be evil. So me letting that own my life doesn't make sense because it's not as if, one, you can't control it, right? You can't go out tomorrow and make that go away. It, it doesn't get eliminated. So instead, you're just owning the fact that this is part of the world. It's part of existence. Right. Exactly. And if you become hateful and angry, you're part of the problem. Yes. You know, people become hateful and angry in a righteous way. Well, well, these people are doing a horrible thing, so I'm going to be hateful and angry toward them. You're part of the problem. I mean, you know, that's not, I don't want to let them do that to me. And it's very difficult. Even on Facebook, it's difficult, you know, not to get upset by somebody. It's, I don't always succeed, but I do try. And, and you have, speaking of, of that, of trying not to get upset or letting hate rule things. You have a beautiful quote that says, the music of God is always playing. Are you listening? That, that's one of the quotes from Breakfast with the Buddha. That was so powerful for me that I took that. And actually, that's in my morning affirmations every day. Am I listening to, am I listening to the love that surrounds me in this moment? Or what I actually have one that says, are you listening? Am I listening to lo what love is singing to me at this moment? Uh, inspired by your book there, I think that's so beautiful for people just to take a breath and say, with everything that's happening right now, what is God singing to me or what is love singing to me at this moment? It's it's so you know, beautiful. I, I, as I said, that is wonderful. I forgot that I wrote that, but I appreciate you mentioning it. I um, 
you know, I grew up with people who went to church every Sunday, and I don't go to church every Sunday. And, you know, that some of it was rote. Some of it was out of fear that they were sinning if they didn't go. But at the same time, there was an hour every week when they were forced to do something that was totally impractical, that had nothing to do with having fun or making money or mowing the lawn or anything like that. It was just standing and kneeling and sitting there listening to songs and stories that were about the big questions. And so much has been lost. I mean, I don't go to church, as I say, but but I try to substitute other things for that. I try to to have a period of time every day when I'm not doing something practical. And it's tough. Some days I can't, you know, I'm just uh, too much going on. A kid is sick or I have to get a book in a deadline or whatever it might be. I have to drive to see somebody. But I think it's important to make the effort. I once went to a three-day retreat at the Providence Zen Center. And just by chance, the the head monk of the whole, of the world, we had all these centers all over the world, who's a famous Zen monk named Son San, happened to be there and he gave some talks. And I remember so well at the end of one of those talks, he said, just try, only try. And that's the key for me. Is it's not about succeeding, it's not about attaining some level, it's just try. Just try to have a little bit of time outside the, the frenzy. That is an awesome way to wrap up our interview. It's just this idea of just, right, that's the be present, right? Just try, be present, give it a shot, see what happens. And what's love, what's beautiful about just try is very much from a Buddhist perspective that success, neither success nor failure guides me, right? And to just try, that's true of. I'm not worried about whether I succeed or fail. Just try. If you don't sit down and meditate and your mind goes suddenly blank, which never happens to me, you don't feel upset. Like, you know, it's okay. I'm a human being. That's all right. I'm just trying. I love it. Is there? I'd like love to wrap up on one last question of what is there something that, that people probably don't know about you that either you really value of yourself or that's just fun, entertaining, but something unique that most people probably wouldn't think of when they think of Roland Morello? I'm a very good carpenter. I, now, see, I caught earlier you said you built that office. Uh, that I got did. my attention. I built my house. That is awesome. Because I, I was when I was determined, I have a two degrees from an Ivy League college, but after I left, I think to my parents' uh, disappointment, probably although they never expressed it, I worked as a carpenter for seven years uh, while I was trying to write. I was trying to establish a writing career, and the side benefit of that now is that I can repair my own home, which has saved you a lot of money. Yeah, that would save a fortune for many of us. So I want to thank you so much for giving of yourself and your time and joining us here today. For anyone who's listening, it's Breakfast with Buddha that inspired me in so many, so many ways, including episodes we've had on this show. But as you heard in the intro, Roland, you have so many more books that people could continue the journey and in diving into. So for those listening, know that we'll have all those in the show notes. You can link to Amazon links to the books and to Roland to be able to reach out if you want to contact Roland. Roland, thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. It was a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Well, I appreciate you taking this time. And for everyone listening, you may you find mindfulness in every day, including today and tomorrow. Until next time. Three quick reminders. One, 
please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.